This is Killstreak. Future Lovers, it is episode 96. Future Lovers, that was, I don't think I've said that in a while, have it's I? Been, it's been months, I think. Yeah, I couldn't think of any uh, any series-specific thing to, to say, so, but I'll think of something, I'm sure, by the end of this. Just got a cheap sequel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right, this is Killstreak. I said that, episode 96, I also said that. I'm Eric Gosselin, and... Uh, once again, recording remotely, Mr. Mike Price, though now you're back in California. How are you, Mike? I'm good. I'm back in California. I'm back. I'm reunited with my microphone. Yeah. So, so hopefully the audio quality will be what the folks at home have come to expect. I mean, I think it sounds great. Probably sounds better than when we're recording in the same room. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, we're still taking some precautions here, although Mike feels fine. Everything seems fine. Yeah. Nobody but. seemed to... In my household, at least, get COVID, truly. Although, you all heard Kenda's awful cough last week. Yeah, she never tested positive, though, but who knows, man. Everything's crazy nowadays, if you ask me. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I don't know. Maybe we'll still continue to record remotely. I think it's been fine. It's pretty easy, so I don't know. (laughs) We'll see how how things go. It just feels weird being trapped in a room with a hot mouth. A hot, big mouth breather like Mike. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> during. <laughs> He's definitely uh, a super spreader. Well, you know, how, Eric, you know how, like, they're saying, like, men are more likely to be super yeah, spreaders because they yeah. talk so fucking much? <laughs> yeah, there you go. So you're saying it's even more so me. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I understand. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, I'll stop talking. So much on this podcast that we host. Uh, no, no, no. I think it's great. I think what you contribute to this podcast is is great. And it keeps uh, keeps the podcast moving along and it puts some meat on the bones, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I would love I would love to hear your solo kill streak episode. I think that would be very fun. I think I'd do a great job. I do a phenomenal. I think we job. should do it. I think I, I think, think we would, ra- I would wrap it up within fifteen minutes. Every <laughs> it'd be the highest rated one yet. <laughs> I would love to see the ratings come back too. Yeah, if we ever had a Patreon, that could be bonus content. Just solo episodes. Solo episodes. You pick your favorite. <laughs> oh, I'm kidding. We love each other here. We're gonna go disc golfing tomorrow, so we'll we'll yeah. be buddies once again actually rivals <laughs> yeah the thing that makes Bitter it rivals the most competitive yeah we're talking scream 2 today the sequel direct sequel to the first scream also directed by wes craven pretty much the uh, whole surviving returning cast is back you got some uh, nev campbells some uh, jamie kennedy's yeah. who i think is i think in between screams he saw a personal trainer you think he, yeah, I mean, he lost a little baby fat in the face, I think. Yeah, he looks a little bit, uh, like, in shape in this one. Well, also, you know, the Frosty Tips takes off 10 pounds. So. <laughs> That's true. That's why we all tried to pull that shit yeah, in, absolutely. Like, in the 90s. In yeah, should we put 2000s. that on our on our Twitter? <laughs> my, did you see that picture of me with the, with I the sun in? I don't think so. I don't oh, think my so. goodness. Okay. 
Well, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you in between segments, and, okay. and then we can have uh, Scott throw it up on the Twitter. Okay. Uh, and also, I think coming up, we'll have a, a third voice joining us. Yeah. Who uh, is a self-proclaimed Scream 2 defender. That's right. Who uh, wants to plead their case. Uh, not saying yet we're, what, what our thoughts yet are on no. Scream 2. So stay tuned for that. Yeah, and we're not doing it out of order either, like we often would. So right. Uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna do our breakdowns, and then we'll bring in. Well, I mean, it doesn't really need to be a surprise. No one knows who Matt is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but friend of the podcast, Matt Wade, uh, former Buzzfeeder like myself, and uh, big listener of the show. Yeah, months ago, before we ever announced we were doing the Scream franchise, he he said to me. When you do Scream 2, I want to come on and defend the movie. <laughs> and I said, okay, I don't even know if you'll have to defend it or not, but that's fine. Yeah, you know. yeah. Oh, I realized uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, is my angle okay for the camera? It's unflattering, I know it is for me. No, it's your, fine. Your angle's great. The angle yep. of your dangle is great. <laughs> it's really not that unflattering, to be honest. It, okay. You know, and it features the posters behind you really well. You got a cool zombie poster. Yeah, Mike got me. Um, it's uh, I can't reach it from where I'm sitting, but he got me a Joe Bob Briggs pillow. That's right. The it's last on the driving. chair that you'd normally sit in. <laughs> you just so. look at it and you go, this is much better. <laughs> <laughs> Man, what a podcast this would be. <laughs> uh, tune in every Wednesday for Eric and the Pillow. Um, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> After oh, dark, that is that's our OnlyFans <laughs> yeah. content. Yeah, Eric and the Pillow after dark. <laughs> um, yeah. So as you mentioned, uh, this is a this is a really it's I don't know I was gonna say true sequel, but I don't think that having honestly most sequels don't have the director and the writer back. No. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you know I think I uh, thank you for saying that because yeah. I was like up all night sweating this out. I think I may have said. Mm-hmm. in the last episode that it was the first time in our history that we've covered a series that was directed by the same director. Not true. Mm-hmm. Phantasm. Sure. Yeah. Phantasm. But, um, but yeah, this is truly a sequel. It's not right. just like, you know, it's a new, new group of characters, same old Jason or same old Michael Myers. It is a direct it, it, you know, it's furthering the story from the first movie mm-hmm. with the same cast, director, writer, everything. Yeah, if, if I mean, I'm thinking about it. I think every major cast member who survived the first movie comes back. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, there wasn't there wasn't anybody who got like left left behind, no. uh, best as I can tell. And as we said, it's Wes Craven, it's Kevin Williamson, and and the at least the beginnings of this movie was part of his initial pitch. We talked about last week how he essentially got a contract for like a handful of Scream movies. Um, so he had already turned in when they bought the first Scream uh, treatment for this. That's great. That's yeah. cool. That's cool to know because I do think there is a lot of like, you know, not to be redundant. I just said it's mm-hmm. like furthering the story, but I think there is a lot of like forethought put into furthering the story so much so that i forget that leave shriver is briefly in the first movie yeah and that that's such a funny thing i was trying to i was trying to see if i could come up with any other examples of something like this it's so particular because it requires a franchise like so you'd have to have sequels to a movie and it's basically 
So we have this really odd circumstance where a guy who, at the time, when the first one came out, was an almost complete unknown as an actor, right? Mm-hmm. But because of the the fact that he was written into the script in a certain way and that the movie did so well and spawned all these sequels, his role grows in this one. And I think he he comes back in Scream 3 as well. Yeah, he does. And, and it's... And it's like it's such an odd coincidence, such a very specific coincidence that as his like they just got lucky that they were like, okay, this random guy, Liev Shriver, is going to play literally not even he didn't even have lines in the first one. He just appears on a television on a television. Yeah. Yeah. And it turns out to be a very well-known actor. Uh, It's such an odd thing. Is it the beginning of his career? Like, where is he in terms of in terms of his career in the first movie i'm looking it up myself I don't so know, so know. he had done some indie stuff uh before scream he's in uh he has a major role in a movie called the day trippers um uh-huh. which i do remember seeing in my video store when it came out it was like you know a, it did the festival circuit you know it had a, a decent home video release yeah he's I got a small role in party girl uh okay and in big night but then really his first major role, the first role I remember him having lines in and registering who he was was Ransom, the Mel Gibson movie. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because I think he plays one of the kidnappers in that. I think so. Seems. Yeah. That yeah. sounds right. Yeah. I like but that then, movie. Yeah. I remember liking it, too. And I also remember jumping over a lot of tables and shouting, give me back my son at people. Because <laughs> it was the best moment in the trailer. <laughs> Um, anyways, watch the trailer for Ransom. Give me back my son. Um, the least offensive thing Mel Gibson's ever Mel Gibson screamed. said, yeah. <laughs> um, but he's jumped over a lot of tables screaming at people, I would imagine. Just, I imagine yeah, so. Yeah. Flipped a lot of tables, I, I think, yeah. too. But then, this was the, that was 96, this is 97, and then he's in Phantoms, I remember, a horror movie, and, and Sphere, he has a decent-sized role in. Yeah. But, I mean, honestly, I think, I mean, I don't know if we can even say that Liev Schreiber ever truly blew up, but it was probably in the mid-aughts that he, like, kind of hit his biggest stretch. Uh, yeah, with, he like, stu- the X-Men stuff? Uh, and well, I'm thinking more specifically Manchurian Candidate. was Because uh, sure. that's a pretty major, you know, he's one of the three leads in that, and that was a big-budget release. Um you know, up to that point, he was showing up in a lot of like big releases, but in smaller roles, right? Yeah, so yeah. Uh, he's in the Hurricane, he's in uh, some of All Fears, Kate and Leopold, but Manchurian Candidate was the one that I remember uh, where he had kind of top billing for the first time, and then yeah, mm-hmm. like you said, uh, X Men and oh, I and forgot I did Ray Don. I never watched Ray Donovan. <laughs> obviously, that's huge yeah. I mean, for him. I'm sure that's his best paycheck ever, sure, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, that and probably I hope he gets paid well for his HBO narration because he, mm, he, he, he he does a lot to in my opinion as someone who used to watch Hard Knocks a lot he I he's he's an integral part of that show his narration is is something he d- special he has a great voice he does uh, and his, and his brother Pablo too is also like in Orange is the New Black we were really going deep on the Shriver family <laughs> Schreiber. Welcome to the Schreiber cast. Um, I would do it. You want to do it? The Schreiber yeah, cast? Yeah, let's do a Schreiber cast. Why not? I mean, I bet I mean, you there aren't two other podcasts doing the exact same format. Uh, I, 
and I bet it would be pretty easy to get both of them. If we're like, we do a podcast just about you, guys. just about you guys. Would you make an appearance? They would definitely, <laughs> I feel like they would have to. Yeah. We do a year just on the two seasons <laughs> of weeds that Pablo Schreiber was in. Um, okay. But anyways, leaving Liev Schreiber back, back in 1997. Yeah. <laughs> with Scream 2. Um, you, should we talk about the cast some more since I always forget I, I was going to say, man, this is like a veritable who's who of 90s. It's loaded. It's loaded. I, yeah. I mean, I've seen this movie a shitload of times, too. Mm-hmm. And I always am like, oh, yeah, Portia de Rossi's in this. Yeah. Carrie Russell, is that her name? Um, it's, no, no, it's Rebecca Gayhart. Rebecca um, Gayhart. Yeah. I, yeah, I get them. Confused. All right. Here's, here's the lightning round. I'm just going to read them off. Yeah. Jada Pinkett Smith. Omar yep. Epps. Mm-hmm. Heather Graham. Yeah, uh, that's right. Then our main cast members, like we said, Leah Schreiber. We've got uh, a cameo by Kevin Williamson playing Cotton Weary's interviewer. Oh. Um, Sarah Michelle Geller, Joshua Jackson, Timothy Oliphant, Jerry O'Connell, Dwayne Martin, Lori Metcalf. Uh, uh, David Arquette's dad, Louis Arquette, plays Chief Hartley. Mm-hmm. Um, then we've got Rebecca Gayhart and Portia Durasia's sorority sisters. Uh, another uh, actress, uh, one of the sorority girls, Donnie, is played by Marisol Nichols, who I had a huge crush on. She was the Audrey Griswold from Vegas Vacation. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's the one. She's like the last one that Sarah Michelle Geller talks to right before she dies. Oh, yes, uh, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Super cute. Um, telemagazine host Nancy O'Dell playing, uh, you know, a TV host, basically. And she actually you- comes back. Yeah, Did you say Luke Wilson? No, Tori Spelling, yeah. Luke Wilson, yeah. David Warner, the great David Warner from uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, Secret of the Ooze, and uh-huh. Time Bandits. <laughs> uh, who else? Uh, there, was another, there was another cameo. I'm trying to remember who it was. Somebody who worked, I think, I don't know. It's not Craven. Oh, it's the, uh, it's the DP. Uh, Peter Deming is the guy who sells Jada Pinkett uh, popcorn. Oh, movie okay. theater. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if I forgot any other like young big actors. I think that was mostly it. Oh, here's a really funny one. Selma Blair has an uncredited voice cameo. She's talking on the phone with Sarah Michelle Geller. Oh, that's Selma Blair? Yeah, that's Selma wow, Blair. Wow, that's and cool. They had just starred in, you know, Cruel Intentions together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, oh, also one little bit of correction. I mm-hmm. think maybe last week we said that the uh marcos beltrami is that the guy who did marco beltrami just marco, marco beltrami yeah um part of the score was used in broken arrow it's the actually other way think, around. oh it's the other way around yeah because it's do is it dewey's theme dewey's theme is the broken arrow theme and that doesn't show up until scream 2 I, yeah because I, I i was listening when i heard it i'm like yeah i don't remember it in part one yeah, I think we mentioned that it was in Scream Two, but I think it was it was reversed that I was talking about that being uh, Beltrami is used in Broken Arrow, but it's actually Hans Zimmer's Broken Arrow score that gets used in this movie. Yeah, yeah. and then it just is now Dewey's theme forevermore. Yeah, yeah for multiple movie. more movies, and that's not the only piece of this score that it was not done by Marco Beltrami. Also, all of the uh, Greek chorus stuff, all of the uh-huh. big. Uh, orchestral bits those are danny elfman oh no shit yeah that's cool. so yeah it's sort of a score by committee uh on this I, one i want to say one more thing sorry i'm kind of taking everything off track but i remembered no. as i was watching scream 2 a 
interview on Politically Incorrect with mm. Bill Maher that okay. Kevin Williamson was on. And it was um, a really cool moment where basically, like, I think Kevin Williamson was on Out Magazine, the cover of Out Magazine. And Bill Maher was like, why are you on the cover of that? He's like, because I'm gay. And it was like, and then Bill Maher was like, wait, really? Jesus Christ. It was really funny. And at the time, like, I don't think he had spoken publicly about Mm. that. But I remember, like, watching that because for some reason I really, like, was really into that show when it was on. Sure. Uh, I was like, that's so cool. <laughs> I think it tells you something about the amount of research that Bill Maher is doing before yeah, yeah. <laughs> they roll on an episode. He was busy fingering some 24-year-old that's <laughs> bossa nova before they started recording. I saw him there once on a date with a 24-year-old. Um, was, she, um, uh, was she Asian? No, she was African-American. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, 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 yeah okay. I assume. You know what? I don't actually know if she was American or not. She was a black woman. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Which I think is another Mar thing. So it's like, you know, he's got a type. I've heard, I've, I've heard he's had, he has a, maybe a couple types. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he, and, he and Bobby De Niro go out cruising together. <laughs> um, anyways. Roger Ebert's in the backseat. <laughs> Ebert, Ebert gets the cast offs. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, so uh, they started production on this while the first one was still in the theaters because it was, you know, destroying box office records. Um, now, you mentioned to me that you were uh, pretty plugged in on Scream 2. You, the internet was coming into its own in 97. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about your uh, involvement in that community. Um. If I'm getting the timeline right, it was there was a website called horror.com. Okay. I think it was either horrormovies.com or horror.com. Okay. And it was a message board where people would just post about horror movies and respond to each other mm-hmm. and stuff. And, and um, I think at that point, yeah, there was like a Scream 2 thread. Okay. Um, yeah. So I was just kind of like... Is early for me message board stuff of like people sure. talking about like what could what could be like what 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 do you think who do you think the killer is going to be that kind of stuff yeah okay so there was so so what you're telling us is that you were part of this cabal of trolls <laughs> who who leaked the script uh, of Scream Two do you know about this did this I vaguely remember that but yeah no I was not part of that you didn't you you're I sure? did not leak leak the script are you positive. I'm positive. I had okay. no connections to Miramax uh, at the time. All right. Well, <laughs> until, until I find more concrete evidence, I okay. guess I, okay. I have no choice but to take your word for it. Uh, hold um, on. Sorry. The FBI is calling me right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's why. Um, so <laughs> the script of this did get leaked. Um during production and it caused a massive clusterfuck um so on the internet very publicly were shared uh the killers original Mm. of the original script a big portion of the plot um to make a long story short they had to throw out a big chunk of the script and basically they both williamson and to a certain degree i think craven were kind of rewriting on the fly as they were shooting oh wow um because they basically just, you know, they're like, okay, well, we have to change it. We don't have a choice. Um, 
So they started, though, uh, to ensure there would be no further leaks. Uh, Actors weren't getting script pages until the day of shooting. Uh, They did multiple, they they shared multiple scripts with like dummy endings and and fake killers and stuff like that with members of the production. Um, Mm. Just because they didn't know where their leak was coming from. I think Uh, I remember also like it was printed on like brown paper with red ink or something. Yeah, you couldn't photocopy it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, all of this stuff. Um, So... You know, which and this all begs the question. Okay, so they and they were already on a really short production schedule. It was six months from pre-pro to release. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, which especially for for people who don't know, for a movie of this scale, that's crazy because that's very short. Very, I mean, very frequently with a big Hollywood movie, you might have it. You might have the editors and the post-production team work on the movie for six months. Yeah. Um, like this, that seems I don't know, but that seems like they would have the editors working while they're shooting. Yeah, well, you almost have to assume so. Yeah. yeah. Um, although, you know, famously, there are some guys in, in Hollywood who can cut a whole feature in a in a couple weeks, um, you know, and now it, it's it's not, you know, it, it, depending on who you ask, the quality of that cut is is not, you know, what you what you would get from someone spending their time on it. But the editor on this one was Wes Craven's regular guy at this point uh, in his career. And uh, David Lussier, who also was the editor of the or sorry, not David Patrick, uh, who was the editor of the first one um, and basically worked with Craven until he passed away. Uh, also worked on uh, Halloween, Two, which we covered. Oh, wow. Earlier. Yeah. Um, he was the uh, – oh, no, sorry. He, I'm like – I'm moving too fast through my notes. I'm like, all right, got to keep it moving. Uh, he was supposed to work on Halloween 2. He was the guy who zombie came back and was like, no, fuck it. I'm doing this myself. And they and he lost oh, oh, the movie. Oh, the zombie's Halloween. Yeah, zombie's Halloween Got it, too. got it. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, so big kind of uh, kerfuffle with this – uh script leak and and the kind of effect that it had on the production um it was shot in georgia and los angeles so a bit of a trendsetter there maybe shooting in atlanta uh back in 97 where 75 percent of everything gets shot now Um, i was wondering where it was shot i assumed it was like north carolina or something just given like the williamson dawson's creek connection no. Although at, at that point he probably wasn't doing Dawson's Creek. Yeah, I don't know. I think Dawson's Creek was right around this time. Um, yeah. Um, but either way, yeah, like the sorority houses and all that stuff was in Pasadena. Mm. Um, the um, the fancy house from the the fake movie Stab is a Malibu house. The college is in Atlanta College, but they also used UCLA for some stuff. Um, yeah heavy security on set because of the script leaks. Um, and then this was a funny anecdote. Just uh, so we talked a little bit last week about how much trouble they had with the MPAA uh, for the first one. Uh, and so preemptively, and uh, this is a fairly common strategy when Craven sent the first cut of scream to the MPAA, he juiced up a lot of the violence, right? You do that in an attempt to essentially kind of, <laughs> Uh, like like uh, overwhelm the MPAA. Yeah. And so they'll ask you to take a bunch of stuff out, but half of what you have to take out is stuff that you didn't want anyways. Well, for whatever reason, this time around, 
they just gave it an R as soon as he, like, on the first cut that he submitted. Uh, Which literally led to them later going in and taking out some stuff that they were like, well, this is just overkill. We don't need this. Wow. Um, Yeah. Which is funny because it's not... There, I can remember one scene in particular that made me go, oh, wow, that's really violent and well done. Uh, and outside of that, it's like, you know, these movies, they just have so much stabbing where it's, it's like... a lot of stabbing, yeah. yeah. Are you well, thinking of the, the car crash? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the one that's like, whoa, that's kind of crazy for <laughs> yeah, a screen feel, movie. Feels like it's from another movie almost. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. so anyways, um, that's pretty much all I wanted to talk about here at the top um is there anything else i mean returning cast we talked about i'm trying to think that's pretty much it and it's just in in terms of performance this did really well it did almost as well as the first one um you know the 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 reviews were not quite as warm they were still positive but but as far as box office goes it it did cross 100 million dollars in the u.s and you know, almost doubled that worldwide. It was up there on that list of highest grossing horror movies of all time for, for a while. So, you know, a success. Well, is it a success in our eyes? We'll see. Let's, Let's wait till the out. next segment and we'll find out. students were murdered last night during a sneak preview of the new movie Stab. It's starting again, Randy. This has nothing to do with us. Randy, a guy in a ghost mask hacked up two people in the movie theater telling our life story. Hi, Gail Weathers, author of the Woodsboro Murders. Do you think the killer will strike again? We have no evidence that this is a serial killer. It's a classic case of life imitating art, imitating life. Are you suggesting that someone's trying to make a real-life sequel? Do you think someone's trying to duplicate Woodsboro? It looks like it. I think you have a copycat on your hands, Chief. Hello? Hello, Sydney. Remember me? What do you want? I want you. It's showtime. Police are everywhere. There is some freaked out psycho trying to follow in Billy Loomis's footsteps. You probably already know. The way I see it, someone's out to make a scene. So it's our job to observe the rules of the scene. Number one, the body count is always bigger. Number two, death scenes are always much more elaborate. You just want to sit here and wait and see who drops next? I'm not interrupting anything, am I? Windsor College seniors Maureen Evans and Phil Stevens attend a sneak preview of Stab, a film based on the events of the Woodsboro Massacre. During the screening, Phil uses the restroom and is killed by Ghostface. Ghostface proceeds to enter the screening and sits behind Maureen, besides Maureen, who thinks it is Phil trying to scare her before finding blood on his jacket. Ghostface fatally stabs her, which the audience mistakes for a publicity stunt until Maureen falls dead in front of the movie screen. 
The following day, the news media, including local journalist Debbie Salt, descend on Windsor College, where Sidney Prescott studies alongside her best friend, Hallie McDaniel. Her new boyfriend, Derek Feldman, fellow Woodsboro survivor Randy Meeks, and Derek's best friend, Mickey Altieri. 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 Uh, two other Woodsboro survivors arrive at the campus. Officer Dewey Riley to offer Sydney protection and reporter Gail Weathers to cover the case. Gail tries to stage a confrontation between Sydney and Cotton Weary, who is attempting to gain fame for his exoneration for the murder of Sydney's mother, Maureen Prescott. After Gail forcibly confronts Sydney with Cotton, Sydney hits her. <laughs> forcibly confronting with Cotton is funny. Yeah, shit. Throw some underwear in her face. <laughs> Later that evening, Sydney and Hallie attend a party at a sorority house. At the nearby sorority house, Ghostface murders student Cece Cooper. After all the partygoers leave, Ghostface enters the house and attacks Sydney. Derek intervenes. Ghostface injures Derek but flees when the police arrive. Later, after realizing that Cece's real name is Casey, Gail theorizes that the new Ghostface targets students having the same names as the Woodsboro murder victims. While Randy explains to Dewey the rules of a horror movie sequel and theorizes that the killer is likely someone Sydney knows. Gail, Dewey, and Randy are talking on campus on the campus lawn when Ghostface calls, hinting that he is watching them. Gail and Dewey decide to search for him while Randy keeps him talking. As Gail and Dewey are looking around the campus, Ghostface drags Randy into Gail's broadcast van and murders him. As night falls, Dewey and Gail review the tape of Ghostface killing Randy. The killer attacks them, stabbing Dewey, while Gail escapes. Two officers drive Sidney and Hallie to a local police station, but Ghostface murders them. In the ensuing struggle, Ghostface is knocked unconscious, but soon revives and kills Hallie, prompting Sidney to flee. Back at campus, Sydney finds Derek in the auditorium tied to a cross, the consequences of an earlier fratern, uh, fraternity hazing ritual. Sydney begins to untie him when Ghostface arrives. The killer reveals himself to be Mickey and shoots Derek, killing him. Mickey tells Sydney that he intends to kill her and allow himself to be arrested so he can blame violence in movies for the murders at his trial. He then introduces Debbie Salt as his accomplice whom Sidney recognizes as Mrs. Loomis, who is seeking revenge against Sidney for killing her son, Billy Loomis. Mickey explains that Mrs. Loomis paid for Mickey's tuition fee in exchange for his killings. Mrs. Loomis then betrays Mickey and shoots him. Before Mickey collapses, he shoots Gail, causing her to fall off the stage. Sidney and Mrs. Loomis fight until Cotton intervenes, and Mrs. Loomis holds a knife to Sidney's throat. In exchange for an interview with Diane Sawyer, <laughs> Cotton shoots <laughs> Mrs. Loomis. A lot of Diane Sawyer talk in this movie. Yeah, it's important. Yeah. Um, uh, as they debate whether or not Mrs. Loomis is dead, they find Gail still alive. Mickey suddenly resurfaces to tell uh, to which Gail and Sidney retaliate by shooting him to death. Sidney turns to Mrs. Loomis and shoots her in the head to ensure she is dead. When the police arrive the next morning, Dewey was revealed to be still alive, and Gail climbs into the ambulance with him rather than take the opportunity to report to the cameras on the murders, showing that she cared more for Dewey than for the notoriety she always sought. Aww. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sydney instructs the press to direct questions to Cotton, 
rewarding him for the fame uh, he has been chasing while removing the attention from herself as she leaves the university campus. Succinct little uh, mm-hmm. synopsis there on Wikipedia. Thank you for whoever wrote that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will not give you credit. <laughs> That's not what we do here. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. There you have it. That is the general plot of Scream 2. Blood and Guts check. Mike, why don't you kick this one off? Okay. How did you feel about the movie in the past and then revisiting it this time? Um, so I think maybe I spoiled this one a little bit by a fairly recent rewatch. I want to say last two years. Before yeah. that, it had maybe been a decade plus since I'd seen I'm this. In the, I'm in the same boat as you, actually. Mm. I, we watched it a couple years ago, and then before that, I hadn't seen it in a yeah. while. So I'll say that things didn't shift a ton since my last viewing. Um, now, when I first saw this when it came out... I do remember my overwhelming feeling being that of disappointment. Okay. Um, I just, for whatever reason, the the movie didn't connect with me all that much. Um, I thought it was, I remember when it came out, it was like, it was fine. It just wasn't, it didn't feel special in the way that the original Scream did. Um, watching it again a couple of years ago and then again this week, I think that, like my diagnosis is sort of like that's still mostly true, although I think it's probably a little bit better than I gave it credit for. Um, but it's still it feels a lot more like what it's purported to be satirizing or uh, I, I mean, I don't even know if Wes Craven and Kevin Williamson are really. They don't have a necessary necessarily have a mission statement where they're like, we are satirizing all this stuff and this is we're going after X, Y, and Z. Yeah. But the but the first one feels like it has a real reason to exist in that sense. And Yeah, the first one feels like it's inverting the 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 genre. Yeah. And this one feels a lot closer to just like of a piece with the genre. Um, yeah. and yeah, so I think that you know, we can, uh, this is one that I really want to talk about some more because like my feelings are still like a little unformed and I'm I'm actually really interested to hear what Matt has to say later on because I just think that it, 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 I've talked about this with a couple other sequels before. There's nothing really bad about it. It's just that it's a little bit less than any way you try to compare it to its predecessor. Sure. Okay. So, um, for me personally in the past, uh, when I first saw this movie, I was buzzing with excitement. Okay. I loved it. Mm. I, it. I maybe for a time thought Scream 1 and Scream 2 were equally as good as each other. Interesting. Okay. I was really, really, uh, yeah, I remember like leaving the movie theater, like walking on air. Mm-hmm. Like, that was so fucking good. Yeah. That was like completely satisfying to me as a sequel to a movie that I love. Uh, and in some ways I had, I like, I like some of the choices that were made. Like I always, I, the email that I wrote Wes Craven was about <laughs> Randy dying. Yeah. And me being like, I support this decision <laughs> <laughs> as a fan. And like Randy was my favorite character. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and then, so I watched one and two a lot yeah. during the nineties 
And then, uh, yeah, I hadn't seen it for a while. And then the last visit I had a, a couple years ago, I was like, yeah, it's still really good. But I'm starting to see the obvious flaws in it mm-hmm. a little more. And this time around, I kind of feel the same way as I did last time. I still, It's still a movie I really enjoy. Yeah. But I think your assessment of it being just less, like inherently less than, is pretty apt. Mm-hmm. In that, that's kind of how I feel about it. Um, there's some surprises, but then once you like start drilling down on some, like the final reveals and some of the, the last, I'd say the last third of the movie starts to lose some steam. Yeah. Uh, and it's a little over long. I, I totally agree that it's too long. Cause it's like two, it's, it's, it's two, two hours. hours. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when I think about it, when I thought about it before, and especially watching it this time, um well for one it got the real it's not a kiss of death but it it we i turned it off after an hour and 20 minutes and i was like i can't watch 40 more minutes of this like sure like because it was late not because it was terrible yeah yeah i know what you mean but it was one of those things where it's like if it's a movie that i'm really really into then like a good book i'll fucking stay up until three in the morning if it's like oh i gotta finish this you know yeah and and i think what you really get here is it's like there are chunks of this movie, and I think that you can almost kind of carve them up, pun intended, mm-hmm. uh, into like specific set pieces that are really well yeah. constructed and yes. and very engaging. But the movie as a whole is a little less cohesive, and it and it drags on. And there's parts of it where I'm just like, I got kind of bored. So uh, I think um, two of the the. One of the worst parts of the movie is the play. Yeah, and it, it doesn't do much other, for me. Uh, other than the final set piece, it taking place on stage, mm-hmm. it doesn't. It that is like, oh, I would have cut that fucker. I would like, I would have flagged that from the beginning. Like, do we need this play? Right. Do we like? We don't need this. And I think that really drags there. Um, but what I was uh, what I was going to say is uh, I always forget when I'm watching the first movie that by the time we get to Stu's party, mm-hmm. in my mind I'm like, well, we're almost towards the end. Oh no, we actually have like a half an hour yeah. or so left. Mm-hmm. In this movie, when there's a half an hour left, I was like, oh shit, we still have the car accident. We still have like all of these like these like uh, or like the film school like right. Dewey getting stabbed. Mm-hmm. Like, there's like oh yeah, and then this happens. Like I was just remembering like wow, there's still a fuckload left to get through. Yeah. Um. Oh. Uh. Yeah. So. Okay, well, uh, one thing I can, if, if I, and I'm not saying this justifies the decision, but like, as you may have guessed, as somebody as literate as Wes Craven, there is sort of a reason I think why he wants that play stuff in there, but I don't. Th- oh yeah, I'm sure. I don't think it pays it's the off. Same, it's the same reason why every single fucking film, uh, English class in a in a horror movie has some like profound quote right that the major character has to respond to it's like it's just it's i i understand like oh yeah it's some i understand the like why it's there but <laughs> it, yeah i don't know it just it loses me i don't i don't it doesn't lose me and like i don't understand it's just like i don't think we need this yeah no i i agree with you i was just gonna give some background on the oh yeah, yeah. please do please do yeah no i mean i think you're right it doesn't it's so the play that she's in is Agamemnon and uh, it's Aeschylus, so it's you know, ancient Greek stuff. And she's playing Cassandra mm-hmm. in this play, it's part of a trilogy that I think I read in college. 
But I mean, the main thing is it's like, oh, if you go research Agamemnon and Cassandra, it's all of this like she's like a sole female heroine. She's like sort of cursed. There's all this like familial revenge stuff. Like there's a mother has an affair with someone else's father and it all ties into her mom and the Loomis family stuff. But but the thing is, I think to your point is it's like, okay, so if you're going to derive any value from that, your options are to be intimately familiar with this ancient Greek play before you watch the movie or you go look it up afterwards and you go, Oh, okay. That's interesting. That's cool. It doesn't make the movie anymore. It doesn't make the movie more enjoyable. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's the thing where it's like, like my example of like in an English class when there's a quote, it's like, at least that's over in a minute. Yeah. And I mean, at least then you're getting a quote, which is like, okay, so I can see, I guess how this applies where this yeah. is all implied. This is all like, well, you got to know what, you know, are- the Arestia is. And it's like, well, I, most people don't. I didn't, like, I had to go look it up. I'm like, oh, yeah, I think I read this once. I wasn't sitting there like, oh, yes, what a what a oh, hearty yeah. reference to <laughs> dig my teeth into. Um, yeah, uh, let's talk about some positives for a second. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I want to call out the set pieces uh, that do work really well for me. Um, one that you touched on briefly is the car accident. Um, yeah, stressful. It's really, yes. really tense. A very tense scene. It's got some good action. It's got some crazy gore with the yeah. <laughs> with that cop. <laughs> um, I also really, I don't know if you were more dismissive of it or if it was just because you were moving through that part of uh, when you were referencing it. But the, the stuff with Dewey and Gail in the radio station, the soundproof stuff, I actually really like. I th- oh, I like it too. Okay. Yeah. 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 I wasn't sure. I couldn't tell if you were like out on it. Um, no, no, no. I just meant like, not that I was out on it. Just that when I'm watching it, I'm like, oh, yeah, there's this to get right. through. And there's this to get through. And then there's this, mm-hmm. you know, it, whereas like with Scream 1. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I guess I don't know my point. I was making. No, no I don't think. It, I don't think you need to have a point. Yeah, I was just yeah, like, yeah. Well, you're. I was. I wasn't sure if it was something that you hadn't liked or not. And I'm glad that you like it. No, no, no I That's like all. it. I like anything with Dewey. Yeah, um, he's probably still my favorite character in this movie too. Um, maybe so. Yeah. Well, I guess Stu was maybe my favorite character in the first one. This is, I shouldn't spoil this. We should probably do this later. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Let's let's uh, let's save that. All right. Uh, everybody. Oh, here, we should from do best Dewey uh, fake out death because it happens like once a movie. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. Um, I also really like the opening of this, the movie theater sequence. I, was, I wanted to talk yeah. about the opening. Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. Um, I think it's really effective, other than. Well, a little bit drives me nuts mm. that everybody's going so fucking bananas in the movie theater. Yeah, it's like they would still want to watch this new movie. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, I really like it, and I do think what you're said, what you said last episode about the cast being all white, mm-hmm. it is like it really does feel like a direct comment on that. Yeah, <laughs> like and um, and I uh, I think it's uh, okay. What was it? oh yeah, Jada's Jada Pinkett's um like final whales mm-hmm. and like the look that she gives to the crowd yeah. before she collapses have always like given me chills. It's very um, dark 
in a way that most of the movie isn't that really does echo Drew Barrymore's death in the first one. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And it's almost, it reminds me of like the, what's it like shame coming out of her? Well, Oh, someone coming out of her well to shame mankind, hmm. that painting. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember who, what the name of the uh, person coming out of the well, but it is, she's sort of like shaming the audience right. for being, having this bloodlust. Mm-hmm. It, it's, I think it's really effective. Yeah, and, I agree. I think one of the unfortunate side effects of it is it, it sets you up for what feels like is going to be maybe a slightly more ambitious or, or like broader kind of film. Um, yeah. Sh- Kind of what Scream Three is, yeah, in a way, yeah. Like it, that Scream Three is like a Hollywood satire, right? Yeah, and the and the, and this opening makes you it really does kind of give you that impression, like, oh yeah, is that what this is going to be? Is it's going to be like super meta about like the impact of, and it like it is a Which little been, bit, but, it is a little bit, yeah. It, I mean, it is right, but it would have been like if it really grabbed you by the throat, it would be yeah, all the much all that much better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I mean, this is. It's been a lot longer since I've seen Scream 3, so this week me will be too. interesting. But part of me wonders, it's like, is there a hybrid of Scream 2 and 3 that would have made for a better movie than, than, than the, each of them on their own? Um, yeah, I, I'm sounding overly negative, too. I, I still, let me be clear, mm-hmm. I still really like this movie. Yeah, I, um, yeah, I, 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 let me talk about, <laughs> let me talk about a couple things. Uh, I got. I just got to put out there. I don't like Jerry O'Connell. Uh, oh, really? I didn't have a problem. I with just him. never have. He's fine. Um, it's just like you know. Uh, can't hardly wait. He has a small part where he plays like the washed up, used to be the coolest guy in high school. Yeah, that's who Jerry O'Connell should be playing. Uh. In my mind, he's funny in that. Like, I think he does have decent comic timing for like a kind of traditionally handsome guy, but he's just so fucking doofy to me that I I think that's part of his charm is he has like this golden retriever quality about him. That's mm. like, yeah, he's just like a big dumb dude that like, although I mean, OK, so there's two ways. Why would Sydney be? That was my question. In him? Yeah, but he's the opposite of Billy. You know what I mean? You can kind of see and how he's she still would a handsome him. white dude. <laughs> yeah, but like Billy is like a edgy. I mean, obviously yeah. very edgy, literally right. very edgy with his stabs. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, and Jerry o- Derek is just kind of like a white bread, wholesome, yeah. all American kind of guy. I don't know. I think Sid should be a lesbian in this movie. That's just me. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but it's not up to me. Uh, <laughs> sorry, we just watched Benedetta the other night, so I got lesbians on the brain. Um, oh, yeah, that's the reason why. Yeah, remind me in our third segment we can talk about um, another movie that I watched mostly in fast forward, uh, directed by Wes Craven. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, just thinking about lesbians. Um, but anyways, uh, yeah, okay, fine. Jerry O'Connell's fine. I'm not saying the movie is bad because he's in it. I'm saying he's bad. I'm just saying I kind of you like... Don't, you don't like him. I don't like him a lot, and I really don't like him as, like, this is Sid's boyfriend. Like, she's she's a pretty good ass-kicking heroine in this movie. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, 
But then her fucking boyfriend's a frat guy who looks like Jerry O'Connell, and it's just like, ugh, I don't know. It doesn't. It, it it feels a little off for me. And I'll say this: I think that maybe like one of the big criticisms that I would level at this movie is I think the first one does high school stuff pretty well. Um, I don't think this movie really nails college vibe. Oh, see, I don't know that I agree. That mm. I mean, it, it certainly wasn't my college experience mm-hmm. where we went to college, yeah. which was a very like liberal arts you know sure. it's an art school a lot of smokers um, but i was uh i was like i like that this is a college movie you know like and we're getting like sorority mm-hmm. stuff and and that element of it i don't think it necessarily did an amazing job at portraying college but like you know i i, I like the college stuff they call it like the okay university aspect. yeah i'm not opposed to, like i I mean, just to be clear, what I'm saying is I don't like the execution of the college stuff. I have no objection whatsoever to it taking place in college. I think that makes a ton of sense and it's what it should be. I just think that the that Kevin Williamson and Wes Craven, to me, did not capture the excitement or of, of being in college that I feel like they did capture with uh, high school students in the first one. Okay. Yeah, no, that makes uh, that makes sense to me. Um yeah, I don't know that it, it, the problem is the characters are damaged. Like the first mm-hmm. char- the characters from the first movie, it's like they're Sydney's trying to lay low and people are keep focusing on her and Randy's, you know, Randy's doing his film student thing. Mm-hmm. I wanted to talk a little bit about <clears throat> Randy uh, sure. Because I think of all the characters, he was my favorite. Is mm-hmm. now maybe my least favorite. Sure. Uh, because like he was, and maybe it's because he was a stand-in for the audience, mm-hmm. especially the nerdier ones like myself. Right. Uh, and now I'm just like, shut the fuck up. You <laughs> Remember when he just goes into a British accent for a whole scene? Oh, that was really bad. That really drove me nuts. Uh, what did you think of Mickey Timothy Oliphant as as Mickey? <sighs> I love timothy oliphant i do let too. me say I that I, I i he i loved him before justified ever st- happened and then yeah. when justified came out i was like oh sweet a timothy oliphant show and it was great and i watched every season of it and i love him in it um but like i remember i think you and i were talking on a text thread about the films of 1999 and I had thrown out that one of my favorite movies that gets forgotten these days uh, was Go, directed by Doug Lyman. Yeah, yeah. And I remember seeing Timothy Oliphant in that and just being like, man, he's so cool. Um, he's super cool. He's a little... In this movie, I mean, he is supposed to be playing a bad guy. He's a little bit... Um, he, he's like a little... It's, it's What is he, like sniveling, kind of? He's got... He, he, he's sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say he seems miscast. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, that the Timothy Oliphant that we know and love is like a little too charismatic to be this guy. Exactly. He's too handsome. He's too charismatic. He's too like cut. Right. (laughs) Like it should be like, um, this should be like a dark Randy basically. Yeah, 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 exactly. A dark, <laughs> the dark, the dark Randy universe. Yeah. Randy, no, with, really Randy without a, a a fucking Van Dyke goatee. It should be like the guy who's in like, uh, no, actually, no, that's a bad. Mm-hmm. I was trying to think of the guy who's in like the House Bunny or or like, 
Oh, fuck, oh that Duomel? Paris Hilton movie. The Paris Hilton guy uh, movie. Okay. Oh, but I was just trying to think of like geeky uh-huh. yeah. actors from that period. The problem with the 90s is that they wouldn't let anybody who's not a fucking smoke show on camera. <laughs> this is you know true. I mean? Yeah. Jamie Kennedy is the ugliest person we're going to get. Right. Um, and in this one, he's like clearly been hitting the weights <laughs> yeah. and like has a goatee. Yeah. Yeah. I'll say that with our dual killers, I, uh, Lori Metcalf, I like more than Timothy Oliphant. She does great. I mean, she's just a great. She's a great actor, uh, yeah. which I think we finally like. I mean, she was always great on Roseanne, but then she got the she should have won the Oscar for Lady Bird, in my opinion. Um, she's great. Yeah, she's really, really great. Yeah. And and uh, she's great in this. And yeah, I, I'm with you that Oliphant's just like, I mean, he's a great guy. He's just the wrong. He's the wrong guy for this role. He's a little too much like Billy Loomis, too. It's like it doesn't feel that separated. Yeah. Uh and you could maybe lean into that with Lori Metcalf's Mrs. Loomis, like kind of maybe you could just give her a line where it's like clearly she's been doing some sort of like replacing her dead son with Mickey, but instead, sure, yeah, instead yeah. it's all just sold as like essentially, you know, like a uh, sort of business <laughs> arrangement that the two of them have. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think you know overall uh, the casting of the new folks is again, it's just kind of like nothing, nothing uh, feels like a new, like a bright spot that it was like, this is a thing I like a lot about scream two That wasn't in scream one. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's no, there's nobody in it. Who's like, I would like to see them in scream three. Yeah. You know, I mean, a lot of them die. Right. That's part of the reason I think Sarah Michelle Geller is, is fun in her like brief role. Yeah. I agree with that. It's nice to see like, I mean, this is like right in the height of Buffy, right? Mm-hmm. The, around the, um, and I know that was just like she was just in for a cameo. It wasn't wasn't like right. supposed to be a big role, but it's cool to see her, and it's and she obviously does a great job because she's good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I really like uh, Omar Epps and Jada Pinkett in in the yeah, me too. opening, yeah. um, and then you know we have we were talking about it's finally not an all white cast. So you also have like, besides them in this opening scene, which you touched on is like by way of its dialogue is also very much like visiting on the tropes of like black people in horror movies, which, which was fun, I think. But then um, I was going to say who else. So you also have, what's the, what's the best friend's name? Um, Oh, Hallie. Hallie. Right. So, So you have Hallie who is, I mean, she just doesn't leave an impression on me. No, she's know? not. She doesn't do much. She doesn't have the presence of like Rose McGowan's yeah. character because Rose McGowan's character has a game. You know what I mean? Right. She has an angle where Hallie is. She's a sorority girl, I guess. Is is her game? Yeah, yeah. Um, but that doesn't really like. I don't know. It's like kind of not. Not. I don't know why. Why is she her best friend then? Like I don't know why. Yeah, and, the, and they're so close. And again, I think that's that's the thing that maybe I come back to when we're when I when I'm saying like the college stuff doesn't all work for me. Part of this is what what goes into it, which is like, okay, uh, Sid would never have anything to do with any sororities. Probably, <laughs> I don't understand why sororities and fraternities are such a big part of this plot, other than it's just like an easy trope of college. Right. Yeah. 
this the film student stuff makes more sense to me having randy in a film class and then mickey having his sort of dialogues about film stuff like that also makes sense like that's like okay this is a more organic way of maybe folding some of this stuff in and and maybe this isn't even specific to college but just i wonder how much of this is the movie suffering from how much rewriting they had to do and i wonder that especially since you were saying that the killer like the the killers are different. Right? Yeah. So maybe so they were setting up some stuff that would have made a lot of sense. You yeah. Know? Because I do think that final reveal, although at the time I was like, that's mm-hmm. really cool. Yeah. It kind of, it doesn't stand up as well now. Yeah. For me. As like Billy and Stu do. I mean, yeah, obviously I knew it was coming, but I knew Billy and Stu were coming when I watched Scream yeah. a week and a half ago. And it still hits. It's still like, oh man, it's like, because you feel Sid being so thrown by it. And this right. time it's like, this feels more like a fucking episode of Scooby-Doo. It does. You know? Yes, it does. And it's like with Mickey, you're like, okay, he's on camera a lot with debbie it's like i see who she i've seen her a bunch right. yeah i don't know right it doesn't have the same impact i think you're right yeah um <clears throat> excuse me i keep swallowing spit wrong ah. guys i need a i need a uh a uh, a lesson on how to swallow spit <laughs> um looking at my notes here what else oh i love the stab casting i love like the, the oh movie, yeah the movie of stab it's so funny and and it's a great little in joke that there's that throwaway line uh in the first movie when they someone asked Sydney like who would play you in a movie and she's like yeah she, who does she want julia roberts like, or something but oh uh, i can't remember who she says yeah. but she's like with my luck it, it'll be it tori spelling, <laughs> <Tory> spelling. <laughs> yeah and luke wilson is hilarious um he's really funny do you know yeah. who directed those scenes no uh robert rodriguez Oh, no shit. That's awesome. Yeah, who had just done The Faculty with Kevin Williamson. So, right. Yeah. Right. I've been meaning to rewatch The Faculty. It's great. I love it. It's. I liked, I remember really liking it a lot, too. So to me, and this is an interesting thing, like, again, not. I'm not trying to bury Scream oh. 2 here, but The Faculty is a movie that feels like it's not a sequel to Scream, but it obviously comes in the wake of Scream. Sort of a spiritual yes. successor. It's a spiritual successor, and to me, it works better than this movie because it's it goes off and does something different, you know. And that's the trouble with just doing straight up sequels where you're just heightening. I think. Yeah, it it, it it's hard to completely heighten unless you're going to take it in a really really new direction, right? Yeah, and I think, and I guess maybe coming back to if I have like a sort of central qualm, it's like the only real heightening that this movie does is age up the characters by a couple years, move them to an age-appropriate setting, and then what? There's a hand, there's there's more kills, right? Certainly, but yeah. but the kills themselves aren't to me, you know, more notable. In most, in most ways. Um, oh, I think you were starting to talk about him, but didn't. Mm-hmm. I like the camera guy. Uh, Dwayne Martin, yeah. 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 I think he's really funny. Yeah, he's good. He's, I, I, I like, yes, I think he's a solid addition to things. And I, I like that he's like, black people never survive these things in movies. 
and for that reason, I'm out of here. Yes, and, <laughs> and he leaves, ne- and he survives to the end. And we never see him again. <laughs> no, he comes back at the very end. But it's Oh, like, he does? Yeah. Oh, yeah, he does. He does. You're right. Sorry. Yes, yes. But he successfully goes, no, I'm not going to stay around yeah. for this. And it's like the Stu Charno of like, <laughs> Friday the 13th 2. That's where. Just like partying. That's where he was. He was blowing rails with Stu. <laughs> uh, yeah, who's probably a janitor at the school. Um do you want to move? Do you have anything else you wanted to touch on specifically before we move into uh, um, some more superlative stuff, or not superlative? No, I'm just yeah. looking over my uh, my notes again. Uh, no, I think I think I'm ready to move on. Okay, because also we'll we'll do our normal uh, business, and then we're going to bring Matt in, and we'll do a little bit more discussion before we give our final ratings. So, okay, for a body count, body count. We got uh, Maureen Prescott. Wait a minute. No, that's the first movie. Yeah, she dies in the first <laughs> Here movie. we go. We got Phil, who's stabbed through the year in the bathroom stall, which is very disturbing yes, to me. Yes, absolutely. And that was something that was gorier in the initial cut before they were like, well, we got what we needed. Let's take some of that out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, oh, oh, I wanted to comment on that. Like, in most of these movies, I'd be like, yeah, more gore. I don't think Scream's not a series that I think needs extreme gore. It doesn't need it, certainly. Yeah. it's. I didn't mind the little bit that we got. but No, no. It's shocking. Yeah. Uh, Maureen, who gets stabbed in the stomach. Uh, Cece, who gets thrown off of the balcony of the sorority house. Randy gets stabbed in the van. <clears throat> Officer Andrews gets his throat slashed with a knife. Officer Richards gets his head bashed against a car window and then impaled through the back of the head with a pipe. Uh, Hallie gets stabbed in front of Sydney. Uh, Derek gets shot in the chest. A good, I like that that gunshot. I yeah, really, I've always it, liked it. It's very impactful. You don't see a lot of like gunshots hitting flesh. You no, know what I mean? in movies. Yeah, people have their clothes on, so you just get a clothing squib. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mickey, who gets shot a bunch of times, and then Debbie Loomis gets shot in the neck and then in the forehead. Mike, <laughs> what would you say is your favorite death of the movie? Uh, well, I kind of called my shot a while ago, but uh, it's is it Officer Roberts? Is that was that the correct yeah, one? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, who uh, is riding Richards. Richards? Who 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 goes for a ride for a while on the on the hood of the of that car driven by a ghost face, but then impaled through the back of the head and then sort of speared to the car by a bunch of metal pipes. And the shot we get of the aftermath of that, we talked about this last week. There's a little bit of movement. There is a quivering. Yeah. And it's gruesome. And I was like, hell yeah, that is a whole other level than everything else in this movie. And I am here for the gore always. That's a good one. Mine is going to be one of my favorite deaths in all of cinema history. What? Yes. Yes. And uh, I guess technically she's already dead, Mm. but it is the gunshot to the forehead of Mrs. Loomis. (laughs) I, it is the thing you want every single, uh, final girl to do to the killer. It's like, just fucking shoot him again. And it's so satisfying that it happens. It looks cool, <laughs> like <the> forehead, <laughs> like her head just kind of moves, like she yeah. clearly was dead. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's. I mean, you're right. It's great, and I think it is. That is the kind of thing that those are the highlights of this movie when it is yeah. when it is going back to that well of like this definitely means something in terms of the whole genre and expectation. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 
Um, so yeah, that's always been like a huge favorite of mine. Nice. Okay, moments that didn't age well. Um, you know, if you do, you have one locked and loaded because I have a couple of small things. No, throw throw them out there uh, if you got them. The big one. Well, there's one throwaway line where uh, I can't remember the the cameraman. When he's like, I'm going to go find some crack. Mm-hmm. Blah, blah, and he lists a bunch of drugs. He's like, X, but not Malcolm, which is probably an improvised line. Sure, but it's like, sure. Ah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> um, I thought of one that's not, um, that doesn't fall under the, into the woke uh Yeah, I, I have one that ultimately isn't too, but you go yeah, for it. Which is just the um, I think I love you scene. Oh my God, I hate that scene. It's terrible i asked my wife like what would you do if somebody did that to you she's like i would have left yeah the second he started I would to end the relationship yeah it's fucking mortifying yeah and it's a thing that just happened in movies in this era there is a scene like that in 10 things i hate about you um yeah. obviously they're referencing top gun uh but you know there's a lot more charm in top gun <laughs> there's also, i mean yeah i like jerry O'Con- yeah oh i know i know yeah. Uh, oh yeah. So mine was uh, Gail Weathers eye makeup. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> Which is like, it, it, it's like they had lighter eye makeup on her, like white. It's it's of the time. Mm-hmm. Doesn't look great. The streaks in her hair don't look great either. Yeah. Gail never really gets. Oh yeah, her hair and fucking Randy's hair. Yeah. Yeah. There's some terrible late nineties hair, uh, in this movie. All right, moving on on the John Carpenter fear meter. Um, there's definitely some tense stuff in this movie. The there opening is. scene, the car scene, or we mentioned, but you know, like the first one, it's not a movie that really is getting a lot of scares out of mm-hmm. you, right? No, I don't think I was ever scared the first time I saw this movie or on any rewatch. No, just ten more tenseness than yeah, than like oh good. So, uh, especially, yeah, especially that car scene. I would say it's about the same as the first movie, right? Uh, in, my, in my estimation? Yeah, I, so I agree. Give it out of six, I Yeah, think? six sounds good. Hold on one second. Hey, Kenda, yeah. can you stop drilling? Oh, I can't hear it. Sorry, hon. That's a uh, No, it's fine. Anyways, everybody just got a little, uh, I, I couldn't, I, uh, I couldn't even focus, uh, Oh really? On listening oh, I couldn't. I, I couldn't hear anything at all. That's to funny. your to your gripping uh, words. Oh, can I mention something too that I yeah. don't like? The foam rocks falling on Mrs. Loomis. <laughs> like, those, are, those are foam rocks. We know they are. Yeah, they're foam <laughs> in the universe of the in movie. In the universe of the movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Okay, well, here's where we would normally go into our closing thoughts, but instead. Uh, we're going to take a very brief break and then we're going to bring on special guest Matt to defend Scream 2. Coming back to 
Past the square, past the bridge, past the mills, past the stack. Okay, we're back. And Red we right have, hand. Hold on. We have, Hold on. <laughs> I'm going to derail the podcast. No, I, something I wanted to say that I forgot was, I think, and it pains me to say this, they overused Red Right Hand in this yeah, movie. Yeah, it's in, it's in the movie twice in part two. And it's like a remix. It's just, yeah. Anyways, uh, back to what you were saying, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> no, go ahead. We have a very special guest with us here uh, who wants to share their feelings on Scream 2. Yeah. Mike, why don't you tell our lovely listeners sure. who to speak with? Uh, friend of the podcast, friend of mine, formerly of the AV Club and BuzzFeed, Mr. Matt Waite. Thank you for joining us, sir. Thank you for having me after I sent you a text demanding that you have me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm easily persuaded. I love that gumption. <laughs> um, so what you don't know, we just wrapped up our feelings Um Essentially, where we stand on Scream 2, for myself, uh, when I walked out of the movie theater the first time seeing it, I was in love with it. I couldn't have been happier. Um, and then as that, as I've aged, and with subsequent rewatches, especially recently, it's fallen a little bit in my, in my esteem of, this, of the franchise. But really, I still really like it a lot. But I, now I'm kind of, I see more of its flaws. Hmm. Yeah. And and for me, Matt, my journey moved a little bit the opposite direction. And and this is perhaps, I think, more common with people who are reevaluating. I was pretty disappointed when I saw this uh, in the theater. It just felt it, it felt like a letdown to me. And I always felt like it kind of failed to separate itself as something that was a commentary on the genre so much as just of a piece with the genre. Um, and in recent years, I I've rewatched it a couple times and and thought to myself, it's a pretty well done movie. It's just still less than the first one in in pretty much any way I can measure. Yeah, that's that's um, that's actually good to hear because I assumed that Eric, you made a remark about Scream Two several months ago on the podcast, having revisited uh-huh. it, and I believe you said at that time you didn't think you liked it or it didn't held up didn't hold up so that's oh i'm surprised if i did say that um that's why i was like oh man eric's gonna trash this movie i gotta jump (laughs) oh no 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 Uh, he didn't (laughs) no i did not uh i'm trying to think of of when and if i said i mean i'm sure i did say that but i say a lot of dumb bullshit on this podcast (laughs) (laughs) yeah the really short version is neither of us really trashed it i was a little harder on it than eric was yeah and i think the way this podcast usually goes is when we're talking about it we tend to focus on the negative more than the positive but still at the end of the day like i it's a movie that i i like right um well i think i'll start by telling you guys a kind of a funny history i have with scream 2 which is i uh unlike mike who apparently had this amazing in theater experience with the original (laughs) scream i was not allowed to see the first scream in theaters because i was in Mm. six I was in sixth grade. I'm not that much younger than you guys, but slightly. And I had Mm. almost convinced my parents to let my older sister take me. And then they ended up being like, we're not going to do it. So I made my sister take me to see Mars Attacks, which she didn't get and still doesn't get. And she hates me. But um, (laughs) I was able, even though, as I'm sure you've talked about, this was released very quickly after the first uh, movie. Yeah. a year, I guess, made a difference. So uh, I, we were allowed to pretend my sister was my guardian, and uh, 
went to uh, North Canton, Ohio, and uh, went and saw mm-hmm. Scream 2, and mm-hmm. it was a, I think I had Eric's experience. It was a fantastic movie theater okay. experience. Like, back then, yeah. audiences, at least in the Midwest, weren't super interactive at movies. People didn't start really clapping until, like, Lord of the Rings, at least where I'm from. Yeah. yeah. Actually, that's funny. Same experience here with Lord of the Rings specifically. Yeah, right. People were just like, I think, I think, yeah, I yeah. think we should clap. Um, I, I hate it. I hate clapping in the theater so much. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 rough. They can't they can't hear us. But um, I think maybe in Jurassic Park, the original Jurassic Park, that was something that people mm-hmm. clapped at the end of. But otherwise, never. But Scream 2, the audience just erupted at the end because I think we all <laughs> felt like we were on this great amusement park ride together. Yeah. And um, my father would not buy me VHS tapes when they came out because he said they were too expensive. But what he was willing to do was tape something that we paid pay-per-view on the satellite dish. Ah. So that's how I ended up with Scream 2 on VHS and no other Scream movies. Nice. So, oh, wow. So that was uh, like, wow. you, that's your Scream movie. That's yeah. my Scream movie. Scream 2 okay. is my Scream movie. And I, and I love it. But uh, as I've gotten older, I have realized that there are several things wrong with it. But mm-hmm. it hasn't really diminished my love for it. It's sort of a nice, comfortable, less great, but still good sequel. Something like um, Psycho 2 or Phantasm 2 or Maniac Cop 2. Like... I yeah. I don't know. People like to talk about how when something's great, you should just leave it alone. And that's never going to happen as long as movies are a business. But I also just sure. feel like that's unfair to me. I want more Scream, even if it's worse. Like, mm. don't hog this from me. Like, I don't want to <laughs> just relive how cool the idea of Scream is in... I mean, the first movie's perfect, but it's not enough. <laughs> you yeah. know? That's a great point that we, uh, I don't think we've ever fully articulated, but like that's kind of sums up my feelings about like the Halloween sequels, mm-hmm. especially like the ones directly after the first movie where it's like, yeah, I, they're not as good, but I, I just want more Halloween. So it's like, it's okay for me. That's kind of how I feel about uh, Temple of Doom. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and going on the Spielberg route, um, I want to watch The Lost World all the time. It is nowhere as good as the first movie, but it is Steven Spielberg pointing a camera at largely animatronic dinosaurs, and I'm really glad it exists. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. But I actually think Scream 2 is significantly better than The Lost World. Sure, yeah. (laughs) So... well, I wanted uh, we focus a, a lot on the character Randy, and like shockingly <laughs> yes. so, I was completely shocked when when I first saw the movie and he's killed. Couldn't I do it. remember being very surprised by that. Could myself. not believe it. And then later on, you think Dewey has just died in front of you, right? And yes, then yeah. you think uh, Gale has died in front of you. So right. un- until the, until basically the final like shooting the bad guy in the head moment. You're like, oh my god, they've killed everybody from mm-hmm. from the first cast. And um, I'm of two minds about them revealing that both Dewey and Gale are alive. But we can we can we can talk about that in a second. But um, sure. basically, my my main reasons I did I did make a few notes just because I was yeah. like I, I have to I have to have like my main bullet points my main <laughs> likes and dislikes. Um, okay. The thing I think that I love most about this movie is this is the Scream movie when I really start loving the characters. Mm. The first movie, as perfect as it is, 
they do feel like well-polished cogs in sort of a plot to me. Mm. Um, and here, they actually, like, I could imagine what they would be like to just sort of sit down and have dinner with, which is not a thing you get in slasher movies, hardly, mm -hmm. hardly ever. Yeah. And I, as a result of loving the characters, I love the downtime. Like, I'm, I love the downtime in the first one, but I really, really, I love when Gail bumps into Dewey for the first time and he just starts listing the passages in her book that, that make <laughs> that him sound like yeah. an idiot. And then he insults her and he insults her dumb 90s hair. And mm -hmm. it's like th these, those scenes were so important to me. Like I'm a, I am a writer and I, I, you know, I grew up watching a, a lot of Kevin Williamson stuff and a lot of Aaron Sorkin stuff. And that's what I had instead of, you know, like the theater <laughs> because mm -hmm. I lived in the middle right. of nowhere. And, you know, that's, I really just enjoy hanging out with them to an even greater extent than in the first movie. And I think every single character is more interesting because the first movie has happened to them. Like, sure, Randy, sure. to me, yeah. Randy is much more interesting because, like, you see him, you know, walking out of that uh, classroom doing that weird accent as a defense mechanism. And it's like... <laughs> Did that moment not age well? Is that or are oh we gonna God. put that on the list? It's so absurd. I mean, yeah, didn't we, we, hit... we mentioned it. We did yeah. talk about that. We um, mocked our... it. Yeah, and you know, uh, and somehow uh, I feel like the set pieces are better this time around, even if the total movie is not. Mm -hmm. Like I think, uh, Eric, you may remember this in the movie theater, but I wish I could have filmed my audience watching the part in the car where they have to crawl over the guy. Yeah, and yeah. Even if you're mad and you don't like the decisions they're making, he's, he's still got you, you know? Yeah, he's absolutely. Got, he's got it you yelling at the screen, like, look on the front hood of the car, there's a gun there. <laughs> yes, yes, like, or like, just pull the mask off real quick. Just do it. Go ahead. <laughs> like, yeah, right. I, I'm not, I, I'm not sure if, I'm sure you guys maybe talked about what you would have done in that situation, but... I've yeah. thought about it. I would have gotten my ass out of the car, everybody out of the car, and then I would have lifted up the mask. Oh, absolutely, I mean, yeah. I, you know, <laughs> it's the problem is I can I can only look at these things through a lens of violence, uh, which <laughs> the way he looks at the world and yeah, it tells you about something how I, came, I how how I was brought up. But it's like, well, if I was in that situation, I would just start strangling the guy immediately. Like it's it's all like the end of the movie, which Eric called out. He really likes and I like too, which is, you know, that's my approach to everything in when I imagine hypotheticals in these horror, horror movies will be like, well, I would find a large rock and crush his skull or <laughs> you know, yeah. whatever it's going to be. But it's like, no, I'm not going to try to sneak around. I know what my strengths are in the wild and they are brute force and only yeah. brute force. Um, yeah, there, there, there are certainly ways to get around it, but he sort of... Um... He creates this situation, or maybe we can attribute the original idea to Kevin Williamson, but he creates this situation that it it sort of bends credibility but doesn't quite snap mm -hmm. it. Like you're still mm -hmm. kinda yeah. with it and then the and then the big punctuation note at the end is that you know, you think it's gonna be Hallie when she crawls out of the car, but it's Hallie when she's seemingly safe and it's just yeah. so well done. I love the cat and mouse with Gail and the killer in the the audio room. I don't That's know. That's a scene called. I like a lot. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, Dewey getting stabbed behind the soundproof glass. It's so sad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's it's just heart wrenching. Oh, that's something I didn't we didn't bring up mm -hmm. um, in the other part. 
I love the physicality of Dewey in this one. Like he is, and his, his body has been his through length, trauma, yeah. like in a way that you don't really see. Like you never really see continuity with characters in a slasher movie. Yeah, but especially like the repercussions of getting stabbed. You know. Yeah, he <laughs> and not um, dying. Dewey might be my favorite change from the first movie because he's almost a completely different guy, and yeah. his his acting is sort of on this level of almost camp but it it still Mm -hmm. it still works he still seems to be this guy who's ruined and he let his sister die in his mind it was not his fault but you know Mm -hmm. if he was if he didn't follow gail his sister would still be alive and you know you can see that on his face you can see that on his shoulders and i just think they're all way more interesting basically but on the other side um i got a lot of problems i uh (laughs) sure i didn't have them at the beginning but um I think my main issue is that, like Mike said, it's not, it doesn't really have a commentary. It doesn't really have a so what. Um, it, it sort of starts that way. You think it's going to be, especially with that opening scene. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Like, I, we were talking about how it feels like it's, like that's the opening paragraph in like an essay about like audiences bloodlust. Yeah, right. But it kind of doesn't really nail that. Yeah, it doesn't go there. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't. It would bother me more if it seemed like it was trying for it beyond the first scene in the movie mm-hmm. and failing, but it's not even really trying anymore after that. Mm-hmm. It's more just like it's sequel meta commentary, but it's not it's not it's not anything particularly nourishing or revelatory. It's just yeah. like sequels always do this. We will either do that or subvert it. Yeah, and it, and it doesn't stop. feel committed enough to that bit either like i feel like it sort of gives it a cursory nod but then proceeds to just mostly be a regular horror movie Mm. like i think about something like uh 22 jump street yeah which is a movie that's essentially doing kind of the same thing but they commit so hard to it you Um, know where it's just like this whole movie is escalating insane sequel tropes you know yeah and it's like usually what i like about my favorite Scream movies is that they're a commentary on horror movies at the time and maybe society where it connects. There's a little Mm -hmm. bit there with Mickey's motive at the end where he Mm -hmm. like, you know, things that haven't aged well. Uh, I'm just (laughs) being like, yeah, man, how we all get to watch courtroom dramas, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. God. Yeah. And it just, you know, for me, part one, what was so powerful was the, this sort of subtext about why, how desensitized young people are who grew up, you know, going to the video store. Like you could watch any gruesome thing and it, and it might make you a person who is susceptible to violence, but it might also make you the one person who can survive the horror movie, which is why it was, it was clever. It wasn't just going, ah, this is bad. It was like, you could go one way, you could go the other. Scream 2 is saying pretty much nothing. Even, even Scream 3, which I think a lot of people think is the worst it has this subplot about exploiting young actresses in Hollywood. It does not handle it well at all, and it <laughs> and it uh, it really kind of fumbles it. But at least it sort of seemed to be trying for something. And Scream Four has a very very big so what that is laid out at the end of it about how mm-hmm. social media and celebrity have changed, and mm-hmm. and Scream Two just doesn't have sure. any any of that. Um, yeah, it doesn't. And I wonder if that's a product of it just being, I mean, Mike was saying that <clears throat> Kevin Williamson sold 
the treatment when he did the script originally. So it was, he had the idea, but I wonder if that was just a product of it having to be rushed out that it didn't really get a chance to grow teeth, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it might be. Uh, and then lastly, I'm not just sure about the geography of the ending. It's like, yeah. I, don't, I don't know if you convinced me that all these people need to stay on a stage. I get it. I get <laughs> yeah. that the movie starts with a stage at the, in front of the movie screen. There's a stage in the middle act and then there's a stage yeah. at the end. But like, it's like, you can't, you can just jump over it. Like, yeah. I know that yeah. they, they take the time to show you that little piece of the stage falling so that no one can get off the stage. But it's like, right. you can get off the stage. It's, yeah. not, a, it's not a pit. Yeah. But <laughs> what about the foam rocks? You're going to get crushed by those. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, and um, the other thing you missed, Matt, was we did have a discussion about what I felt like was a sort of lack of uh, efficacy of the whole Greek drama thing. Uh, where yeah. it feels kind of, you know, just like it's like a very winky, but it doesn't do anything for the quality of the movie. Um, and I feel like you accidentally hit on what I think is a, a much better idea, which is this this should have ended in a movie theater. Oh, yeah. Like maybe started out at the play and then went to a movie theater. No, the fuck the play. Take the play out oh. of the, the movie. <laughs> I, I do like how it it sort of sets up Sydney's arc as a person who's lived through this once. And mm -hmm. odds are you're never going to live through it again, but she just has this inkling that she's going to have to, mm -hmm. and she just doesn't want to face that. And I like the that idea about her having to accept that role, both in real life and like on that sure. stage. Love that cameo from that actor whose name I don't know, who plays her drama teacher, who was... Yeah, I was trying to... Oh, uh, David Warner. Were. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, who yeah, I was introduced great. to in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. <laughs> oh, yes, Se yes. Secret of the Use. Secret of the uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, okay, we got to wrap things up, Matt. This is, this. unfortunately, this is not going to be official, okay? So you, you, you're a guest, so canonically, your ranking is not technically going to factor in. But I think it's only fair if we give you an opportunity to give a brief closing thought, and then if you would like to assign a Mary Fuck Kill ranking to Scream 2, I would invite you to do so. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I think it's uh, a flawed but very well-made piece of uh, suspense cinema. I wouldn't call it deep horror. It's not scary, yeah. but you love hanging out with the characters. Uh, the you love hearing that weird slashy sound when the knife goes down and um, yeah. And I think it, I think it ends really well. Like the series could have ended here, but again, I'm not mm -hmm. mad that I got more. Yeah. Um, I mean, I love scream. I, I have married scream too in my life. Like you guys do the Mary <laughs> fuck hell. I have married scream too, but I think if I put my hat on a little more objectively, I think I gave it like three and a half out of five on letterbox. So I think that's, okay. I think it's a strong fuck if I want to be more critical. All right. All right. And Fantastic. it is the third best Scream movie. Good. Oh, interesting. interesting. Okay. Well, we'll keep that in mind as we make our way through uh, the franchise. Uh, do you want... This is the part in podcasts where the hosts say, do you want to plug anything? Do you want to uh, say anything? Do you want people to know anything about you? Look uh, at anything of yours? It's not quite time yet no <laughs> follow you on letterboxd yeah follow me on letterboxd it's uh wait which is my last name underscore what w-a-y-t underscore w-h-a-t and that is the only writing that i'm sharing with the world right now but that All might right. change that might change soon well you're a great letterboxd follow 
because uh, I don't always agree with you, which is what I want out of my people. It's you have you have lots of thoughts, which I appreciate, and some of them I think are crazy, and other ones I think <laughs> are good. So that makes for the best reading. All right, awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, thank you for that, Matt. Very nice to talk to somebody who is not, uh, you know, me? the Mickey <laughs> of this podcast. I'm the Mickey. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, I guess it's... The Dark Randy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm Dark and Randy. It's different. <laughs> okay, let's talk about our Mary Fuck Kills. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting that he went with a, a fuck... Yeah, I feel like Matt really sold us a bill of goods to get on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. No, no, but it was funny because it was in our discussions. It was like, I want to come on to defend Scream 2. And then I think he overestimated how hard we were going to be on it. <laughs> we all sure, are just sure. kind of in the same ballpark. <laughs> yeah, we're kind of all in the same ballpark. Yeah. Uh, okay, so you've already heard my feelings. I've restated them two or three times. Mm-hmm. So, no more foreplay. I'm going to go right in and marry you, Scream 2. Wow. Yeah, no, I, I, I really, you know, as Matt was saying, there are sequels that you know aren't as good, but mm-hmm. you still love them regardless. And I, I do enjoy watching this movie. Um, And I'm going to, you know, go back to my days as a youth walking out of that movie theater, a buzz. Sure. I'm going to slap a Mary on this, baby. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's such a special franchise, and it kind of, thinking about it from that angle, it's not surprising that since, because you didn't see the first one in the theater either, right? No, I didn't. Yeah, so you and Matt. I don't think so. I don't think I did. Yeah, so for you and Matt. Oh, no, maybe I did, actually. I I don't know. I actually don't. (laughs) Sorry, sorry. I keep interrupting you. No, it's fine. I I have no memory of seeing it in theaters, but I have no memory of seeing it. On VHS, either, okay. So I don't know. Well, so let's just, for the sake of this hypothetical point, let's assume that the reason why you have such a fond memory of seeing this this one is because it was the first one you saw in the theater. Because otherwise, I have to imagine you would have come out of Scream One a glow, yeah, uh, and that might have made an impact. So maybe it's just something about seeing your first Scream movie in the theater that you know, because it sounds like you and Matt had very similar, very positive reactions where mine was a lot more tempered uh even you know as a 13 year old Mm -hmm. um but either way uh yeah we've we've touched on most of the stuff there were a couple things that i wanted to throw in were part of my consideration i think this movie has a really bad soundtrack (laughs) um oh sure where the first one was kind of uh was fun and and i think like kind of nailed that mid-90s thing now, part of it is not the fault of the movie, but the late 90s, which we're now transitioning into, is just a very, very dire time for popular music. Um, but there's, like, Cottonmouth yeah. Kings and, like, yeah, yeah, Master P, who, like, I am I was a huge, I mean, rap is pretty much exclusive what I listened to for most of high school, but I always thought Master P sucked. Um, I just want to be clear about that. Um there's like a like a B side from Collective Soul over the end credits. <laughs> it's just yeah, like, it it's, is bad end credits music. Yeah, yeah, uh, and then a ska cover of "I Think I Love You" to really round things out. Um, so, anyways, uh, oh, I will say though, if we want to talk about authentic college experiences, this is maybe one of the only movies I can ever remember 
that had like a non-hit single Dave Matthews Dave band Matthews song. Dave Matthews band song, yeah. I was thinking that too. <laughs> Which is such a college thing because I went to college and was just surrounded by these dudes that were like, that like, I didn't realize Dave Matthews was like the Grateful Dead to a specific group of people until I got yeah. to college. And they were like, oh yeah, you gotta listen to, it's Vermont 93 uh, playing fucking song 49 or whatever the fuck, you know. A bunch of they've all got stupid names it's like fish friends too uh anyway <laughs> some of which we count amongst our friends i've gotten sidetracked scream 2 um is just more to me and i think there's a positive and a negative to that right and i think matt and you were you were kind of hitting on this too eric there is something definitely very uh admirable about just providing more of a thing that you really like i think mm-hmm. there is value in that um, but I also think that I, whether it was a product of all of the, the issues with the script leaking, it was the super fast turnaround. It could just be that sophomore thing of, you know, how, especially with writers, like someone like Kevin Williamson, a lot of the time you, you put all your best ideas into the first thing you get made. It was his first screenplay that got produced. And especially if you're directly following that up where it's a metatextual approach to the slasher genre, then I think that there's a pretty good chance that a lot of your best ideas would get put into the first one that you make. And then when it comes time to do the second, then you say, oh, okay, well, I guess we have to do this all over again. Chances are you're not going to have the same amount of fresh, interesting ideas to go to, especially in six months. Scream 2 is a positive film, a film that I have positive feelings about, but it's not anything uh, that that kind of gets me excited in the way that the first one does. It's just like, yeah, it's a fun, good horror movie. Uh, and I think it's... If you are going to go watch the... Like, I would recommend Scream to anyone and everyone. And I would recommend Scream 2 to you if you're like, hey, did you like Scream? Do you want to just see some more Scream? Then, yeah, check out Scream 2. Uh, and for that reason, I, I, I can't I can't go up to a Mary, but I'll call it a um, a strong fuck, like, a, like an enthusiastic one. All right. Thank you very much, Mike. Um, you had one final thing you wanted to talk about here. Yeah. A very important topic of discussion. <laughs> Something that we touched on briefly last week. Yeah. Uh, And uh, so another friend of the podcast, Mitch in Milwaukee. uh, Now, I want to be clear. He didn't just pull this out of his memory bank. He he did a little research on behalf of the pod and himself, I imagine, and was able to track down Wes Craven's uh, adult film directing alias, uh, Abe Snake, (laughs) (laughs) who... Directed one feature adult film film called The Fireworks Woman. Uh, and the poster for The Fireworks Woman asks the question, what happens when a brother and sister break the ultimate taboo? Which is a question that mainstream pornography has been attempting to answer nonstop for the last yeah. six years. Especially in taboo <laughs> yeah i know even decades before that yeah that's well yeah funny. i guess this was the first phase and then with yeah. this and taboo and now uh if you've ever wandered onto a, a porn site you realize that it's having a real renaissance um but anyways 
Uh, I got confirmation last week when I was home that my mom still listens to the show, and I think she maybe listens to the whole episode. So, oh no, yeah. <laughs> so, why are you doing that? <laughs> so, mom, uh, next week we'll be covering Scream Three. Please stop listening now uh, as we talk about a, a porn film for the next couple of minutes. So, I found the fireworks woman on a tube site, uh, and I watched it. I skipped through it quite a bit, very quickly. Sure. And I will say that it was kind of funny because it was a little bit like the opposite of what I used to do as a young man. You know, you get your hands oh, sure, yeah, on adult VHS. <laughs> now you're just going to the talking parts? Yeah. <laughs> I was in. I inverted the process. I fast forwarded through the sex scenes <laughs> and watched all of the dialogue scenes. Um, if you are expecting, it's 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 not like a diamond in the rough. It's not like Wes Craven made. <laughs> no, it's not like a lost masterpiece. No, it's not. Uh, I will say that it is chock full of much more interesting camera work than you would expect to see in your average uh, 70s porn movie. But the thing is, is it just, it's just like, it's a bunch of weird like dream imagery mm. that has no place Really, other than like it feels, excuse the choice of words, kind of masturbatory. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, but you can tell that like Wes Craven is probably like wants to be a real filmmaker because he is. This is the only thing of his that I've seen where it's like, oh, I do see that your influences are mostly the French New Wave. Uh, sure, sure. Because it's a lot of that. And then it's like, but then every 10 minutes there's a hardcore sex scene. Um it's weird. That's 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 really the most that I can say about it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I uh, maybe I should seek this out on my own. I'm surprised uh, any, you didn't, honestly. No, no, I, I didn't. I didn't. Um, any? Uh, did you bust? <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Don't answer that. Don't answer that. No, no, I did not. <laughs> <laughs> All, All right, right, guys. Next week. We're talking Scream 3. Follow us on our socials at KillstreakPod. Write us emails at KillstreakPod, killstreakpod at gmail.com. Leave us a voicemail. It's been a while since since somebody's done that. We would love to hear another voice on this podcast. Uh, when I say that, that, that sounds like a backhanded, con- <laughs> like, a, like a dig. It's not a dig at my co-host here. It's just, you know, it's nice mm. to get a, other people we would chiming never, in. We would never do something like that. Never. Um. Yeah. Anything else I'm missing? No, I think that's it. Um, we are still investigating our best options for seeing 2022 Scream. Uh, but that's coming up in a couple weeks. So, uh, yeah, we'll keep you guys posted on that. Just uh, keep your ears and eyes on the socials. And as always, one more thing. Nice streaks. Mm-hmm.